My dear brothers and sisters, today, April 6, 1986, is a day in church history. 156 years ago today, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was organized. Numbers were few, circumstances modest, but the future beckoned. This afternoon, April 6th, we'll have an opportunity in solemn assembly to pledge our hearts and our souls and to raise our hands to sustain President Ezra Taft Benson as the 13th President of the Church. Prayers of thanksgiving will be offered, words of wisdom will be spoken, and songs of praise will be sung. Strains of We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet, How Firm a Foundation, will resound from this tabernacle and will be heard in congregations throughout the entire world. It was just 50 years ago today, April 6th, when the prophets of the Lord developed the principles and the guidelines based upon that same firm foundation, which became the welfare plan of the Church. Watershed statements were made and heaven-inspired direction received in a special meeting presided over by President Heber J. Grant, assisted by his counselors, President J. Reuben Clark and President David O. McKay. Those principles have withstood the passage of time, been rendered valid by the verdict of history, and bear the seal of God's approval. On that day, President David O. McKay stood and said, this plan, this organization, has come about by direct revelation, and nothing in all the world can better care for its own. President J. Reuben Clark added, The Lord has given us the spirituality. He has given us the actual command. The eyes of the world are upon us. Fifty years. Economic cycles have run their course. Societal changes have been many. The membership of the Church has gone beyond the valleys of the mountains to the uttermost parts of the world. But those principles and those statements today are like an island of constancy midst a sea of change. In that Foundation meeting and later in the year, the First Presidency declared our primary purpose was to set up, as far as it was possible to do so, a system under which the curse of idleness would be done away with, the evils of the dole abolished, and independence, industry, thrift, and self-respect be once more established amongst our members. The aim of the Church is to help people help themselves. Work is to be re-enthroned as the ruling principle in the lives of our Church membership. My brothers and sisters, I am grateful today that I have had the opportunity over the years to be carefully counseled and tenderly taught by the architect prophets of this program. As a publisher and a printer, 
it became my privilege to become well acquainted with President J. Reuben Clark. As I sat with him one evening, he knew I had been a newly called bishop presiding over a difficult ward. He said, bishops should know their people, should understand their circumstances, and respond to their needs. He then took in hand his New Testament, turned to the Gospel of Luke, and read to me an account from the life of our Lord. And it came to pass that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him. And as he came nigh unto the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was carried out, he being the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And when the Lord looked upon her, he had compassion for her, and said unto her, Weep not. He approached the bier and touched it, and said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. As President Clark closed the pages of that Bible and looked up at me, I noticed that he was weeping. He said, Tom, care for the widows and look after the poor. Another great prophet architect of this program was Harold B. Lee. Many years ago as a priest, I was in a group where he spoke to us on future roles in church government. He opened the Book of Mormon. He turned to a scripture which has been off-quoted in this conference, the 17th chapter of Alma. He read aloud concerning the sons of Mosiah. Now these sons of Mosiah were with Alma when the angel first appeared unto him. Therefore did Alma rejoice exceedingly to see his brethren, but what added more to his joy, they were still his brethren in the Lord. And they had waxed strong in a knowledge of the truth. And they were men of a sound understanding, for they had searched the scriptures diligently that they might know the word of God. But this is not all. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Therefore they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught... They taught with power and with the authority of God. As Brother Lee closed the pages of the Book of Mormon, I noted that he, as did President Clark, wept. Just a few days ago, I paid a visit to President Marion G. Romney, avid advocate of the welfare plan. We sat and rehearsed together a favorite passage from Isaiah, known as the True Fast. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou bring the poor that is cast out to thy house, that when thou seest the naked that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? I noted that President Romney smiled, and then I noted that he wept. Like a golden thread woven through the fabric of the welfare plan, is the truth taught by the Apostle Paul. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. 
Our own beloved President Benson frequently counsels us as general authorities. Remember, brethren, in this work it is the spirit that counts. What is the spirit of the welfare plan? I think it was enumerated very effectively by the Lord in a revelation given to the prophet Joseph Smith at Kirtland, Ohio in June of 1831. And remember in all things the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted. For he that doeth not these things, the same is not my disciple. Whenever we turn from the Lord's way of caring for the poor, chaos comes. John Goodman of national fame said the welfare program of the United States of America is a disaster. It creates poverty rather than eliminating it. It subsidizes divorce, unwed teenage pregnancy, the abandonment of elderly parents by their children, and the wholesale breakup of the American family. Why? Because we pay people to be poor. In 1982, it was my opportunity to serve as a member of President Ronald Reagan's task force on private sector initiatives. As we met in the White House for a breakfast meeting, President Reagan stood before a battery of the press and paid this church and its welfare program a supreme compliment. He said to the group, With us here today is Elder Thomas Monson from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If every church during the Great Depression had developed a welfare program based on sound principles, as his church did, we would not be in the mess we are today in government welfare. He then went on to laud our production system, our storehouse, our cannery, our distribution operations. He praised the principle of self-reliance, of caring for one's own, and he concluded with this statement, When trouble comes, let us not turn to government, but rather let us turn to ourselves. As President Clark said 50 years ago, the eyes of the world are upon us. And while this is important, I think it more significant that the eyes of God are similarly focused. And what does he see? Are we provident in our living? Are we generous in the payment of our fast offerings? Are we obedient to the commandments of God? Do we hearken to the teachings of prophets? Are we square with the Lord? As we look back on 50 years of welfare, as we look ahead, all will be well if we will remember the place of the priesthood, the role of the Relief Society, and the involvement of the individual. Then heaven's blessings will attend. On a cold winter night in December in 1951, there came a knock at my door. A good brother from Ogden, Utah, with a German accent, asked if I were the bishop of the ward. I told him I was. He then said that his brother and his brother's wife and family were coming in just three weeks from Germany, that his brother had been a president of the Hamburg branch, that the family had endured much during the war, 
that an apartment had been rented for them in my ward, would I come and look at the apartment? As we did so and went up the dark and uninviting staircase, he said, It isn't much, but it's more than they've had in Germany. He took the key and opened the lock, opened the door and switched on the light. I was not prepared for what I saw. The light in that living room consisted of one 40-watt bulb hanging from the ceiling by a little cord. That was all. It revealed a large hole worn in the center of the linoleum which covered the living room floor. The wallpaper was soiled, ancient. The paint on the woodwork was chipped and peeling. There wasn't a stick of furniture in the entire apartment. We went into the kitchen. There was an old icebox, and one of those old hot point ranges, the inverted L shape, one burner worked. The cupboard doors were all open, but the thing I best remember, every shelf was barren of any food. As we left the apartment that night, he handed me the key and said, I'll be back with my brother's family in three weeks, two days before Christmas. We'll pick them up at the airport, come by your house, visit the apartment, and then I'll take them home to Ogden. Sleep did not come easily to this bishop that night. I worried and tossed and turned and thought of that apartment. The next morning was Sunday. We met in our weekly Ward Welfare Committee meeting. One of my counselors said, Bishop, you don't seem your exuberant self this morning. Something wrong? I then recounted my experience of the night before. I told them all about my impressions of the apartment. A spiritual silence settled over that room and the members of that welfare committee. Then, after what seemed like an eternity, the group leader of the high priests, a man with flowing gray hair, Brother Erdley, he spoke up and said, Bishop, did you say that that apartment was inadequately lighted? I said, that's an understatement. He said, would you permit the high priests of this ward, under my direction as an electrical contractor, to rewire that apartment? I said, of course. Would you permit me to invite one of my suppliers to contribute a new range and another one to contribute a new refrigerator? Why, that would be fine. <laughs> the next person to speak was the president of the 70s Quorum, Brother Balmforth, in the floor covering business. He said, Bishop, I buy miles of carpet every year. Would you permit me to invite one of my suppliers to contribute some carpet and allow the 70s of this ward under my direction to lay that carpet and put new linoleum in the kitchen? Of course, Brother Balmforth. Then the president of the elders' quorum spoke up. Brother Bowden, a painter, he said, Bishop, I'd like to contribute the paint, and I'd like to contribute the wallpaper. Would you permit the elders in this ward under my direction to repaper and repaint that apartment? Of course. And then Sister Miller, president of the Relief Society, said it all when she said, Bishop, 
If there's one thing in this world that the Relief Society cannot tolerate, it's empty cupboard shelves. <laughs> Would you permit the Relief Society of this ward to fill those shelves? Of course. The next three weeks was a literal beehive of activity in that ward. And then came the appointed hour. Two days before Christmas, 7 o'clock, the knock on the door, the same brother from Ogden with the same German accent, only this time emotion really did have the best of him. He said, Bishop, Bishop, meet my brother. I looked upon a man who had endured much hardship during the war. I looked at his sweet wife who stood by his side, her hair done up in a little bob. I saw the children standing behind them like frightened little squirrels. I thought, how many nights has this family been underground? Night after night, while death and destruction rained down on their city. We went to the apartment. As we went up the dark staircase, I did not tell them what had taken place. I did not tell them that many in the ward were hidden away in the apartment, waiting for our arrival. <laughs> the brother from Ogden said, It isn't much, but it's more than they've had in Germany. Little did he know. As he took the key and opened the lock and opened the door, he flipped the switch, one of those new silent ones. Gone was the 40-watt bulb suspended from the ceiling. There the light came from floor lamps, table lamps. We stepped over the threshold onto carpet that was rich and luxuriant. We were greeted by the aroma of newly papered walls and freshly painted woodwork. We went out into the kitchen, and there was a new refrigerator, a new stove. The cupboards had been painted. The doors were still open. But you could not have put another can of tuna fish or a bottle of fruit on those shelves. The Relief Society had really done its job. We gravitated to the living room. It was Christmas. We sang Christmas carols. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We sang in English, they sang in German. And then the father from Germany stood to thank us, realizing for the first time that this was all his. He put forth his hand, but could not speak. He buried his head against that shoulder and repeated the words sobbingly, Mein Bruder, mein Bruder, my brother. It was time for us to go. We went down the staircase, out onto the street. Snow was falling. You could feel the crunch of it under your feet. None of us spoke. And then a teenage girl who had participated said, Bishop, I feel better than I've ever felt in my whole life. Why? I answered her in the words of the Lord, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I thought of the words from little town of Bethlehem. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Silently, 
wondrously. The gift had been given. A need had been met. Lives had been blessed. Souls had been saved. A provident plan had been followed. A precious promise had been received. I testify, my brothers and sisters, that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, that President Ezra Taft Benson is indeed a prophet, a seer, and a revelator, and that sacrifice continues to bring forth the blessings of heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.